Elton Sloan is the president and CEO of Robert Craig Winery in the heart of Napa Valley. What an actual privilege to be able to talk to somebody who over the last 30 years has held leading roles with ultra premium wineries from Indiana to California. Although he's currently at Robert Craig Winery, you'll find during the course of this conversation that Elton is absolutely passionate about spearheading the overhaul and reinvestment of the farming, winemaking and sales structure at the Craig. Now as a managing partner of the winery, he spends much of his time traveling around the country spreading the Craig word. Wow, what a word it is. Enjoy this entirely incredible episode with Elton Sloan. So I thought it would be a good opportunity, really, first of all, to find out a little bit about you and Robert Craig Wineries, etc., and find out a little bit more about your background. So give me kind of a little elevator pitch on the incredible Elton Sloan. First of all, you've got an amazing name, but... Well, hey, I I was named Elton before Elton John changed his name from Dwight Reginald in 68. (laughs) That's right, from Reggie Dwight. So um, in any event, I was born in 66. So I've, you know, I've been in this business for many, many years since, you know, waiting tables at Indiana University in the mid 80s. Uh, the recording artist John Mellencamp used to come in all the time to the restaurant and bring in all of these uh, people that wanted to record with his drummer, Kenny Arnoff, at his house. So if we saw anybody at the Indiana University Auditorium, uh, which is a great venue in the Midwest, so it would be, you know, Peter Frampton and Willie Nelson and all these divergent characters would come in and he'd say, you know, and John wasn't a big wine drinker, but he wanted wine for his guests. So we'd say, you know, Elton, we're going to have to drive to town if you can't get some wine up in here. And, uh, So in any event, I started uh, exploring with our distributor sales rep all of these different wines, and it just became fascinating to me. And uh, that same sales representative, uh, right as I was graduating, called me up and said, hey, I'm moving to the East Coast, and I think you'd be great at this. And and, uh, so I interviewed, got the job, and uh, with the distributorship to sell fine wine in Indiana, which was just a fledgling business, and they sent me all over the world to, you know, to... uh, France and Germany and Spain uh, and, you know, you name it, uh, Italy to to be their wine guru. So that was kind of my start. And then I worked for a large company, Robert Mondavi in the Midwest, where I made the connections. I met the connections that eventually got me to Robert Craig, but moved to California in the early 90s and um, and worked for the Bunshu family for, uh, you know, a number of years directing their business, but wanted some equity. And um, I got introduced to the Craigs through a mutual friend that was a big time manager at Robert Mondavi Winery. And here I am, 20 million bucks in debt. And uh, it's, so it's been a meteoric rise in the in the wine business, Kelly. But that's um, the elevator story. I am so starstruck right now because you're kind of like a different you're a different take on on winemaking, and that's really interesting because you're bringing a little bit of rock and roll, a bit of spice, and a little bit of heritage to the world of wine. I'm giving you probably a very unwanted mantle, um, but certainly it's interesting that when you first think about wine, 
oftentimes you think about a sommelier in a restaurant that's giving you information about the wine that you're drinking. This happened to me recently when I went out for something to eat and uh, the sommelier came to the table and I'd chosen this Riesling and she said, yes, it's a Riesling that's from, you know, just above the Black Forest in Germany and blah, blah. I said, well, you know, my favorite Riesling is the one that comes from the city that I live in, in Zurich. You know, they do a great Riesling in Zurich. She said, I didn't even know that Zurich made Rieslings. And I was like, that's not very rock and roll. You need to have this worldview. It's a little bit like being a politician, I suppose, or a diplomat. You have to have this real kind of understanding of a little bit like a diplomat would with world politics, worldview, an understanding of everything from great grain, leaf, soil, you name it. Yeah, I, th I think that's a very good point. You know, I come from a different place than a lot of uh, people in the Napa Valley, in the Napa Valley anymore. My competition, they aren't millionaires. I mean, they're billionaires now if people are getting into the business because the real estate values are crazy. And when I started with the Craigs, you know, Bob and Lynn, they would uh, really just drink their neighbor's wine or their own wine. Um, you know, Lynn and Bob, they just couldn't believe that I would bring a, an Arnais from Bruno Giacosa over. Um, and they would say, wow, this white wine is stunning. And I think it really, you're absolutely right, Kelly, that it's, it's all about a contextual awareness of the world and what is going on. And, and for me, you know, the segue is into what we're talking about with NFTs and crypto is that the wine business has been so traditionally insulated from anything um, outside its own parameters, uh, you know, it reminds me of, of the Italian wine business in the 70s, where, you know, if you went to uh, if you went to a town down south, if you were in Tuscany, you would never have wine from the Veneto uh, on a wine list, you know, and and or something from Piedmont. And now it's all very common to have the greatest wines when you go to the the best wine programs. It's been in integrated, but. The wine business has been slow to innovate. Um, you know, gosh, the pandemic really drove people to do things um, that we've never done before, which is why I'm comfortable here uh, speaking to you while you're in Switzerland and and uh, I'm here in San Rafael, California. We can have this conversation and it's not new to me uh, because the pandemic really drove our innovation. But I think you're absolutely correct that if you're insulated, you don't get the worldview necessary uh, to not only innovate with your wines, but innovate with your experience and how your customers are going to experience your brand. In the last few episodes that we've worked on, what we found that is a common factor is the story of wine. And the story of wine is such an interesting one because I think it gives way to that sort of wine diplomacy, for want of a better term, that way of being able to have that spatial awareness of vineyards around the world and what they bring and what they give. But strategically, I'm pretty interested in ways that, that we can differentiate strategies for future consumers, not just of wine, but also being able to understand the story of wine. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, and I, I think, you know, wine has always ridden kind of the razor blade of, uh, you know, understanding and the romance that wine is all about, you know, because the more you learn, uh, you know, I've been at this since the, the mid 80s, 
And the more you learn about wine, the more you realize you really don't know anything. I mean, it's such, you know, it's such a vast field. But I think one of the things that connects our consumers to us at Robert Craig, our brand, is that all of the people at our winery are very much wine passionate. You know, if you come in uh, to our tasting room, nobody has a three ring binder, you know, with an FAQ section on. Oh, yes. I mean, everybody knows the vineyard, knows the production process. And everybody at our place actually has to work in production for a little while to understand, you know, the winemaking side. So um, I think you're absolutely correct that, you know, the more technology becomes involved, which is inevitable, because not everybody from, you know, Europe and from Florida can get to California, in particular in a pandemic that we're living in now. Uh, so as, we, as the technology comes in, how do we maintain the romance and how do we maintain the singularity? And for us, it's like, you know, if you love Ethiopian bean coffee or, uh, you know, where our colleague Cameron is today, if you like Kona coffee in Hawaii, um, you know, that's that's the only I mean, that is such an individual flavor to me when you go to Hawaii and have that fresh cup of Kona coffee. And, you know, to me, the vineyards are the first, you know, uh, level of difference uh, when we talk about our winery because we're you know Bob Craig was a mountain cabernet pioneer and so the first thing we talk about our brand is that they all come from these very high elevation uh, stony soil uh, shallow soil vineyards in remote places with a big ecosystem of uh, I mean our, on our game cameras we have mountain lions we have bears we have fox deer uh, this incredible you know this, the, these unbelievable ecosystems uh, that are not found really anywhere else in the world, and we're growing world-class grapes there. And so the first thing we want to do is make sure that we communicate to people what we're doing differently to make these wines and never lose sight of that, no matter what sort of technology comes in. So it's very important to have a visual display, you know, to have a good, uh, whatever you call that, um, a brand ecosystem where you have plenty of, of photographs and drone videos. I mean, the technology now is amazing and, and photography to shoot some of these sites with a drone, whereas otherwise you would get, you would have no idea of the scope of them. I really like the fact that well, first of all, a few of the things that I took from what it was that you just said there was that, you know, Bob Craig's, Robert Craig Winery still behaves like a startup. Like you really want people to get every aspect and every element of what goes into winemaking before you can ask them to really have that authority. That's so refreshing, first of all. That's a really kind of future view, I think, of wine. From my perspective, particularly in a world where I work, which is Web3, Metaverse, NFTs, etc., we are really the, the startups, right? We don't even envisage that a lot of these are going to be in a situation. I think I'm on my maybe fifth or sixth startup that I've worked on now. But each time I come away from a startup, I get a new perspective. And I think the same thing must follow if you're in winemaking. Each time you're in a different layer or a band of learning, you take that perspective and you can apply understanding production to maybe marketing to being able to do brand storytelling, to being able to build strategies, to being able to oversee the entire, you know, sort of commerce process of what happens post-production. 
So that's super refreshing. And that's a different take, I think, than I've ever heard about winemaking. Yeah, I, cool. I, it was so, you know, for us, it's to really differentiate from, you know, uh, traditional style in Napa, which is very ripe. And sometimes it's blamed for being overwrought on the world stage for people that love European wines. And I, that's a fair criticism. Uh, but our wines, you know, because of the fact that I grew up on old world wines, you know, the wines from Italy and France and uh, Spain and uh, Germany, uh, you know, our, our wines are lower in alcohol. They're lower in extraction. Uh, they're more, you know, classically made. And so those are the things that we always talk about you know, what we're doing with the wine, how we're making these wines. And then, uh, you know, as the millennials are coming into the market, I mean, now our business has gone from baby boomers, which were huge collectors of Cabernet, to uh, my generation, Gen X, uh, to, you know, now millennials and, and Gen Y and, and, uh, and Gen Z even are coming into it. And you have a lot of these kids that didn't have their, you know, parents' level of income to buy these big houses where they could turn a basement into a de facto wine cellar. Um, you know, so you have these kids that might have a 30 bottle wine fridge and the whole model for wineries of having these people buy four cases of your wine every year and stock them away and just break them out at family gatherings. Um, that's not going on anymore. I mean, what, what, the, what the next gen wants, uh, they want to come to Napa and have an experience. It's not necessarily about hoarding and collecting wine. It's about experiencing uh, wine and food and uh, you know beautiful scenery and, and the story of it all. So things have changed so much and some wineries are you know, continuing to say, you know, oh my gosh, our, our whole mailing list is dying off. And we've certainly had that at Robert Craig, but if you're not acquiring, if you're not you know, looking at what is coming next, and you're you're going to be out of business shortly. And I think, uh, you know, NFTs. Uh, it, it, the this is a way to bring that experience to people to have them uh, own a piece of the experience if communicated correctly. Uh, it's going to be a tremendous tool for us uh, to use to tell people our story. Agricultural tourism is huge in Europe. It's just so big. Mm. But actually, where is we thought. Uh, because I used to live at the bottom of Italy before I moved to uh, Switzerland. And wow. most we thought that, yeah, in uh, Malta, which is just below Sicily, and where we thought that there was going to be this sort of profusion of baby boomers all coming to agricultural tourism with this new way of getting closer to the land because they've got more of a disposable income. Actually, the opposite was true. It was young people who you know, in our time, because you and me are of the same generation, Gen X, we would have gone off to a kibbutz for a year or we would have gone and done something with the world. They don't go to kibbutzes anymore. Instead, what young people do is they go for agricultural tourism and they go and learn about the land. But every single night you would see a, a 18, 19, 20, up to 25-year-old drinking a really fine Barolo or some kind of really great wine and and pleasuring every single drop of it, which made my heart full, you know? Because you think, we grew up in an age where we were drinking wine coolers and going to parties and having wine cocktails and all that kind of stuff. But these guys, they're really serious about wine now. And that's how I know that if we give them enough utility, enough drive, enough motivation, 
through things like agricultural tourism or through NFTs and the way that we back that utility, we've got a fantastic industry that will support itself for thousands of years, potentially long after we're gone. I, well, I couldn't agree more, but first of all, I'm going to freeze my head. So I'm going to be here thousands of years down the road, Kelly. There's no doubt about it. Are you kidding me? I, I'm going to be Gen ZZ uh, pretty soon. No, but um, I, I completely agree. And you know what's funny is we've been farming our vineyards uh, really organically for 12 years now or, or beyond. And I'm just now going to seek certification because in the past, um, we really, you know, with Gen X and baby boomers, uh, people, the marketing all showed that people really didn't care that you were organically or biodynamically produced. And now it's become a very real thing. I mean, you're having all of these fad wines come out that say we're, we're zero sugar. And some of those wines have more residual sugar than our wines. I mean, you know, because you, when you ferment, you're always left with a tiny amount of unfermentable uh, sugar. And so they're the same, you know, our wines are completely dry, 1.5%. But people talk about, you know, clean wine or natural wine or whatever, organic wine. And, um, you know, some of it is a fad, but for the most of Napa Valley, that's how we produce. And, and what you were saying about agricultural tourism is fascinating too. I just saw an article in the New York Times where they're saying for the first time, uh, the next generation, when they go to uh, farmland, they do not perceive the animals as food because there's a huge vegetarian movement, you know, that is going on. And I think it's everything's, I mean, we've reached this critical stage with our planet. And so uh, I think people are looking for an experience. They're looking for, I feel like wines like ours that are produced uh, in organic fashion that have a story to tell uh, because the remoteness of the vineyard sites and, and what they represent. So for me, I'm a short steward of the, a short time steward of these beautiful properties. But um, I just hope for future generations that they'll be preserved and that we can adequately speak to that with the, with the consumers coming up, that hopefully they'll be the ones uh, around the fire at night having a bottle of Robert Craig Howe Mountain Cabernet. What do you think that um, watershed moment was for Robert Craig Wineries with regards ha having this different take towards wine? Because it is... It is really fresh and it is a, to I mean, I, I go around my local supermarket, I'll buy a few wines and lately they say things like vegan wine. And I just think, hang on a minute, surely wine is vegan, right? But I feel as though when I look at the label, I'm not getting the story. But if I talk to you, I'm getting the story. So what was the watershed moment, do you think, for Robert Craig Wines that gives the consumer both the reality and also you get the story. What was that thing, do you think it was, that, that well, makes I think, Robert Craig different in the marketplace? Well, I think for us, I mean, we've always enjoyed really intensive press for our price point. I mean, the hardest, the hardest grader in the business and one of the most knowledgeable men in all of wine criticism is Antonio Galloni, and he has been a champion of wines like, you know, Bartolo Mascarello, Barolo, and Dunn Vineyards on Howe Mountain and Arrow Wines. So I have to say, as much as wineries disavow, you know, what the press means, um, getting 
getting humongous third-party endorsement of our wines has been key, but also the outreach of having more people come to our place, I think, and doing more virtual events over COVID, where we've had this incredible proliferation as all of these uh, companies, whether it's you know Apple or the people from Hewlett Packard or Google, where we've done events where you have these young uh, tech workers that have come in and they're looking at a very different environment than you know than they work in when they're looking up at our winery. I mean, it's people in in dirty clothing that are wet and cold most of the time. Uh, you know, cleaning barrels and hauling in grapes. It's a truly agricultural business. And I think being able to bring this out visually to people uh, when the pandemic hit accelerated, uh, we don't have to wait for people to come to Napa and go into our tasting room. It has been a real, you know, it's, it's made me realize that we better have our story down and be able to communicate it in sort of whatever environment we find ourselves in. And uh, so it's been a fascinating change for me. It certainly made us better at our business. Um, you know, we went from, holy shit, we're not selling any wine because uh, about 70% of our produce went to restaurants. And, um, you know, what do we do now? The re restaurants are literally gone, you know? And so in reaching dire out directly to consumers, I think, uh, you know, what can I say except for Zoom saved our bacon here in in. Uh, California for many wineries, not just ours, but then uh, we realized what a unique, different story we have. And, you know, our winery, fortunately, it's not, it's not made up of a bunch of me's, a bunch of middle-aged white guys. You know, it's, we have a, we have a great uh, diverse group of people that work at the winery and we have a great uh, diverse, uh, you know, customer base. So those are, I think those are really keys um, for for us has been being able to take who we are and and present that in a non-traditional way. You're like the TikTok of the wine world, I suppose, in a sense, because you are really modernizing as you move. And that's really nice because the consumer can identify with the production, with the team, with the staff, with the diversity inside the business, with the story, that's really relevant. As we approach Web3 and the metaverse, you talked a little bit there about the Zoom experience during the pandemic. And the pandemic was pivotal for a lot of businesses to go from the position of being, you know, traditional and may I say kind of analog to becoming something that's more digital and more accessible through other means. Give us a little bit of a snapshot into what it was like at Robert Craig Wineries during the pandemic. Did you do virtual wine tasting? Did you do wines by mail? How did it how did it work for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, we started out like many people did. You know, I remember saying, I'm just going to give our customers a break here and let people absorb the pandemic. And then one of my friends said, Elton, are you out of your mind? You know, you've got a personality, you have these great wines. We should, you know, you should bring this to people. And, and lo and behold, you know, when we started out on Zoom, I think I had, uh, you know, uh, one other guy. I mean, the, the traditional winery Zoom is, many of it is still pretty analog where you go on and there are two middle-aged white men talking about wine around a desk, you know. Um, but that's not very exciting, but people have really branched out. Uh, I became great at, at you know, 
much better at getting visual, you know, visual aids, getting the visual story built up behind the vineyards we were doing. Um, so every month, you know, and now we do it every other month where we have a webinar and we still have a, a giant demand for it as fatigued as people are with Zoom and everything behind it. Um, people love to go and, and get their friends together and get a slice of the Napa Valley. You know, uh, we do it at 3 to 4 p.m. West Coast time. So, you know, 6 to 7 p.m. East Coast and 5 to 6 Central time uh, on usually the third Friday of the month. But it was, I mean, the last one we did, gosh, we had a, a live band playing. It was more, it was more West Coast lifestyle. You know, we had a live band. We had a bunch of people um, in the in the background, we had a bunch of friends and wine enthusiasts, and it really was like uh, bringing so much more energy of what it's like to be in the Napa Valley on a beautiful spring afternoon and enjoy wine with friends. Um, so it's it's really matured into more of an experience, and that for us has been a lifesaver. And like I said, you know, uh, one thing's led to another where people want to do. Uh, tastings for their employees. Uh, corporations want to have a, a, you know, a wine night where they get together for cocktails uh, with their friends and have somebody lead them through a couple of wines. And now, you know, gosh, I just hit screen share and I can show them every vineyard and some fascinating things about, you know, or what I find fascinating, what we do and people keep coming back for it. So for us, you know, it's been a real lifesaver and I, it's been such a, it's been such a brand uh, accelerator for us to get people to understand what we do is constantly telling this story. Um, and the same is true for distributor meetings, you know, where you have a bunch of people, you know, gosh, I don't, I don't have to fly to Indianapolis, Indiana and go to a room and uh, a small stuffy room and take the fine wine staff and show them, okay, this wine, I mean, they can sit there in their house and everybody open a glass of wine, you know, so it's, it's been a it's been a game changer the technology and I think with NFTs uh, coming to surface I'm I'm so excited to see what sort of new people that it's going to open the doors to wine you know with and and I'm fascinated to see you know what are the ingredients in the back of the house that are going to make people want to uh, spend their their money on a you know on digital currency. Uh, or a position on those on those non fungible tokens. So uh, it's it's such a frontier. I have to say, it's really exciting for me, Kelly. Hopefully, that answered your question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because I'm really honoured to speak to the president and CEO of Robert Craig Winery. I I have to I have to keep kind of pinching myself a little bit and saying no Kelly you are talking to the president and CEO of a Craig Winery so you can't just say anything but I will say um a few things and and that is that 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 the impression I get is everybody is very excited about the impact that NFT and web3 will have but what from the kind of checks and balances and the bottom line of the wine business generally in the industry at large, do we see other sort of pitfalls? How is the wine industry understanding the credibility of NFTs and cryptocurrencies and Web3 and Metaverse and all that that entails for the wine industry? Or is this kind of a crawl to run scenario do you have people in your team that are really sort of 
into it and understand it and have that, you know, that spatial awareness I was talking about earlier about it? Or is this really a sort of, well, let's suck it and see kind of mentality? Well, I think it's a little bit of all of that. Uh, there are two of us that are that are on the team, or three of us really, uh, out of our team of ten that are invested in looking at the space. You know, the the biggest pitfall is we've done so much to attract the next generation consumer by being better stewards of the land because environmental sustainability is so important to uh, our soul as a company and what we do, but to the consumers that are coming up next through the ranks. And so the first thing is, you know, uh, is to exp is to explain, hey, um, it this does not necessarily have to destroy the rainforest with crypto mining, you know, which is a which is a primary check and balance of the NFT world. That's one where um, it's so adverse to what so many wineries believe uh, that that is the that is the really the truest hurdle other than uh, wineries analog existence, you know, we're, we're a very traditional business where we say we're going to produce this and then hopefully a distributor will buy it or our customers will come and see it and we'll put out some nice food for them. So it's, it's a new frontier and I think we are going to crawl. We're going to see what is going to bring the consumer in, in the back of the house. Is it going to be the, is it going to be the strength of the brand? Is it going to be the reviews on the brand? Is it going to be the nature of the vineyard sites? Is it going to be the experience that they receive as an NFT holder when they come to the winery? I think it will be a combination of all of those things. And it's going to be a, about you know, our business, our industry, figuring out what it is that is the most enticing to somebody that might put their money into an NFT uh, you know, to buy a digital piece of a winery experience because you know if they're purchasing purchasing an nft for robert craig of course currently they don't get any real ownership of any of the hard assets of robert craig but who knows what's going to happen down the road that's true i think um the relationship that wine has with luxury art creativity um obviously goes back hundreds thousands of years but looking forward i think that the same thing follows i think the richness and it really is a rich scene in winemaking uh, when you talked about all of the elements just then of of you know here is the the areas that we think or we we're not sure that or we think that it could be this i think it's all of those things also i think everything from the soil and the land to the actual product itself to the label to the corkage etc all of that stuff from alpha to omega is really really relevant in building the perfect utility if you like, for what will become the ultimate NFTs in the wine industry. Because remember that NFTs are there to sustain. So whereas in crypto, it is something that mirrors an existing marketplace, 
you know, NFTs kind of do the same thing, which is why in early stages we have been able to identify the art, luxury and wine are the three key things because they're the most investable physical products. And so being able to create digital versions of that, they're keepers. That's definitely going to happen. What I'm quite excited about is the wealth of activity and, as I said, the wealth of utility that there is in a winery. That's what super excites me as an NFT creator and a thinker about NFTs, because you literally can utilize every single part of a winery to make that work for the NFT sustainability and ecosystem. So... I mean, that's just my take. <laughs> no, I'm Kelly, this is great. I mean, this is a really interesting discussion for me uh, because you are a longtime veteran of the, you know, NFT and crypto space. And we're just delving into it. We're getting our toe wet as a, as a winery, you know. Uh, we're fortunate to have a bank, Silicon Valley Bank, that has been dealing in technology and in crypto uh, NFTs for, you know, a number of years. They were on the cutting edge. I couldn't believe... We kept having all of these people coming in uh, that were in the crypto space and they would buy an enormous amount of wine in our tasting room. And I said, hey, there must be something to this crypto because these people can afford nice wines. Uh, so that was my that was my first real life experience with like, OK, uh, this is for real and it's here to stay because the bank is financing a lot of this. Um, so that but it is fascinating to think of every aspect of the winery whether it's whether it's the vineyards, whether it is, you know, all of the things that make wine that, you know, on the tree to making high quality wine. What are you going to use French barrels? Or are you going to use American barrels? You know, if you're using French oak, it's going to be a more expensive wine. Are you going to use uh, what sort of distemmer are you going to use? What sort of farming are you? How many tons per acre are you going to leave out on the vine? So all of these decisions in making great wine can show up. Uh, in the NFT in some way, you know, I feel like Absolutely. Yeah. it's that's pretty incredible to me. And also, if I want to have a Robert Craig winery French barrel in my metaverse apartment, you know, to put my Robert Craig wine on, then I should be able to do that. So I can buy that directly from you as a game object or as a digital asset you know, that has value and it has worth because the point about the NFT is that it has value and worth to the person who is purchasing it. And it has value and worth to the people who are minting it. You know, you're minting your heritage to us, the consumer, in the same way that you, when you make wine for us, you're creating, you're pressing heritage and you're giving that heritage to us as something to drink. The same thing follows in digital. I find it a very, very exciting sort of area. I'm probably going to talk to you for the next five, ten years about this. <laughs> I'm, I'm, looking, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that because uh, there's there's certainly a lot to talk about. And and just speaking with you today has my certainly has my gears my my gears grinding over. You know, the label itself that we use is a work of art with an imprint of Howl Mountain at the top of every label where our winery is located. And and uh, that should probably be signed and hanging on somebody's wall, uh, whether whether real or uh, or in their, you know, alongside their uh, digital barrel, French oak barrel for them to place their wine on in their 
uh, Avatar apartment. That's insane, isn't it? When you think about it like that, because that is the way of utilizing every single part of the winery. Now, in physical terms, that really doesn't happen because for a lot of people, that's not massively affordable. Like if you throw out a French barrel, that's at a cost to you as a production process. So you need all the barrels, unless that barrel is dead or it's rotten and you cannot do anything else with it. There's no need to get rid of that barrel. One of the great things about the wine industry is that it sustains itself throughout, you know. And so when one of those barrels does become available, it's usually snapped up by somebody who has a very expensive apartment in Manhattan and they want it to, you know, decorate their apartment and say, hey, it's from Robert Craig Wineries. But actually in the metaverse, all of us can have one of those barrels if we want to. And we should have that. What we're doing here is we're using NFTs to drive that element home that wine is for everybody. It's not just for sommeliers. It is important that people go to university and they understand how wine tastes and what it does. But it is just as important that everybody has real accessibility and discoverability towards both heritage wine brands, wine brands generally, regions, and the product itself. So that brings me to my next question. Where's Napa Valley in the next five to 10 years? Where would it be? Well, Napa Valley, there was just a very, there's, there's been a much discussed article from the Wall Street Journal about Napa Valley has become uh, unaffor unaffordable uh, for us to visit was the title of the, the Wall Street Journal article, because now you have, you know, hotels are crazy expensive right now. The demand is so high. And I think, you know, to a certain extent, um, there was a there's a hotel in the cute little town of St. Helena up north of Napa Valley that's uh, near a lot of great wineries called El Benita. And that was always the safe place to be able to send friends. It's like a drive up. It's more of a motel than a hotel uh, with a nice little pool. But, uh, you know, you could always get a room there for $160 to $210 a night reliably. So for people that weren't super wealthy, they could come to the valley and stay there. And my wife was just trying to get hotel rooms for her friends in a month away. And they're over $600, you know, a night for a, a room at this tiny little motel. And so, you know, it's gone from, I think you have the dual first of forces at work where at our company, we want all of our employees to make a living wage and be able to live somewhere near where they work. And that means they have to be compensated well. And if they're going to be knowledgeable about wine, uh, et cetera, you have to have high quality employees to make your experience go forward to the people that you're hosting. And that all starts in the employee end and paying them a living wage. Uh, the cost for labor, our farming cost, everything, glass, I mean, the pandemic has really accelerated um, and the war in Ukraine, unfortunately, have really accelerated some of the costs of what we're doing uh, in farming and everything else. And then real estate values have gone through the roof. Uh, in the mountains in particular, it's very hard to get what's called an ECP, an erosion control plan passed. So there are, there are limited amounts of vineyard. And from Bob Craig buying our vineyards, uh, our, one of the vineyards, and I purchased more vineyard when he retired in 2012, but he was able to buy our Howe Mountain Vineyards for $30,000 a planted acre. 
uh, back in the mid 90s. And now those same uh, vineyards are over a million dollars a planted acre. And so to finance that, if you can't buy them outright, you know, you're, you're, there's no way you could plant a Howell Mountain vineyard now. Uh, we charge 130 bucks a bottle for a Howell Mountain Cabernet U.S. And it seems expensive, but if we were to buy that vineyard today, it would have to be twice that. It would have to be $300 a bottle just for us to make a return. So in the, in the next 10 years, we're, we're on a, you know, a precipice of how do we figure out the traffic situation in the valley is crazy. Everybody wants to go there. Um, you have uh, a lot of environmental impact from all the, all the restaurants, all the tourism, people driving up and down Napa. And, you know, the good thing is the Napa Valley vendors have been working on ways to get people around the valley uh, without using an automobile all the time is is one thing, but there is going to have to be a reckoning with where are we going to build some more high density, uh, less expensive housing for all the people that work in the valley so they don't have to drive 50 miles each way just to, uh, you know, or whatever it is, 80 kilometers each way just to uh, be able to afford a place to rent, uh, let alone a place to buy in California. So I think uh, in California, we're very progressive in terms of the environmental agenda, which has been certainly climate change is affecting the grapes in a, in a big way. And if we're not careful, it will not be a world-class place uh, to grow great wine for very long. So I, I think in the next 10 years, we have a real reckoning with the cost of entry uh, to get people to come in and have an affordable experience in Napa Valley. And to some extent, you know, the market, we were in a, a capitalist society and the market will determine um, if people aren't coming in to buy the wines anymore, then we'll need to rethink our pricing agenda and maybe the real estate will go down. But um, it's, at a, it's at an interesting time. And with, you know, Web3, the metaverse, all the things that you're doing, Kelly, it it just is... Napa is stuck into such traditional sales channels where they're offering an allocation or a wine club experience. And the next generation is just saying that they don't really give a damn about all that. They want something else. And so how are they going to have this experience if they're not able to afford $600 a night for a roadside motel? You know, um, it is, these are hard questions that are going to be answered uh I know that people are thinking about them on a continual basis, some people that are a lot smarter than me. Uh, but I just, I hope that Napa can be sustainable, bring the experience out and, uh, and have some way for the people that work. It's the labor that is really the linchpin of, that is going to determine the future of the Valley. I think what I love about the Napa Valley experience is how much of a family you all are. When you look at old world uh, vineyards, et cetera, they, especially here in, in Switzerland, you know, they are neighbors, but naturally they're in competition with each other. They are not brothers in arms. And I feel like because you have such bigger problems that you need to deal with, especially over in Napa Valley with climate change, et cetera, it really has given way to, to a lot of uh, wineries wanting to work together to solve these big problems together because they're outside of the, 
the usual sort of uh, economic stranding, etc. They don't sort of affect the day to day of whether you sell to a restaurant or not, because everybody's selling to restaurants, everybody is selling, you know, into retail through wholesale. But actually, you've got bigger problems, and they're climate change problems. And together, you you've all got the same soil. You know, for the most part, you're all under the same sun. You've all got the same workers. They're all commuters or, you know, commuters into the area. They don't live like so far. So you've got those big problems that you need to solve. These are not the problems we have in Europe to a greater extent because we've got this huge area where there is constant migrancy of people moving between vineyards. They do stuff, but there's no real interconnectivity unless it's a big vineyard that is run by a huge corporation or or big family whatever that stretches across different areas and regions so i think you have something that's very genuine and you have a problem that is actually surmountable if you all work together well i think so i mean climate change is the one that we have to you know we we have to absolutely agree on as a country but as one of the biggest emitters of you know, greenhouse gas that we we have to get a handle on that nationwide. So it's going to it's going to take the political will, which we're a complete mess there right now in the United States. Um, and it's it's going to take some serious it's going to take some serious doing. But, you know, uh, the European vineyards, you know, you look at you look at France and Italy again have just been hit by a, a huge frost um, where they've lost significant amounts of their crop in three of the last six years. And it's because of the, the, you know, the changes in the jet stream that make the frost, make the cold weather more severe uh, at different times, in particular in the springtime. And then for us, uh, fire season has cost us three of the last five vintages. You know, we've lost to wildfire smoke or actual flames. Uh, so, you know, we're going to figure this out. I think, uh, you're right that in the Napa Valley, for the most part, it's 90% very collegial, and especially in the mountain, in the mountain AVAs where we are, such as Howe Mountain and Mount Veter, Spring Mountain, people are really, uh, as you put it, brothers in arms. And so I'm looking forward to the next chapter, and uh, I'm looking forward to having, you know, people be able to uh, experience our, our wines and our winery and our production in the metaverse in the, in the form of NFTs and see how that changes people's perception of the Napa Valley, hopefully for the better. I was going to concur, actually, that even the conversations I've had about the metaverse and Web3 with your brothers in arms in uh, Napa Valley and sisters in arms, everybody is all on the same page. You know, they know that they, they want to pull in the direction with everything that you've said today, Elton, actually resonates so heavily with me because you really feel the wind of change and you want that wind of change to happen. And that's the same for a lot of the, you know, the collegiate system that's in Napa Valley. Everybody feels the same. This traditional old world style of doing things. Yeah. Our champagne crops have been massively affected by the frosts, uh, especially in France. You know, this year it's been dreadful. It's been the worst on record. But, you know, they, 
I feel anyway, from, from my experience, that they're not prepared to work together and they don't want to look at technology as being the means to be able to pull them out of that situation a little bit more, preferring to work with traditional methods and methodologies. Whereas at Napa, you've got so many brilliant minds that are around you. You're a brilliant mind yourself, along with your peers in the Napa Valley area as well. You're all thinking in the same direction. So that means you're all going to be doing in the same direction. And I think that's fantastic really and i'm so so pleased as well i forgot to mention that you're doing the nft drop with cuvee collective which is so exciting so i don't know if you're allowed to give us a little bit of a, an idea of what that might be but certainly we would love to know a little bit more about your relationship with cuvee collective vis-a-vis -vis the nft drop well we're very excited to be part of this and to offer the cuvee collectives you know members a, an experience at our winery that won't be like any others. We're going to offer uh, initially a very small number of NFTs for Robert Craig because that's who we are. We're a boutique winery. We're not a large corporate winery with these very specialized vineyard sites. And so what I don't want to do is dilute by over-offering. Uh, they're not going to be uh, cheap at $1,000 you know, per NFT. However, uh, the people that participate with us uh, are going to get a wine that we only make 25 cases of that's hand engraved called Robert's Block from the highest block of the vineyard at 2,300 feet of elevation as they're welcome to the club. So right there, you know, physically you got, you, you have um, uh, between that and the experience that we're uh, setting up for up to six people at the winery, uh, people will realize more than half of the cost of the NFT back in a uh, in a physical real life benefit to them. So, um, you know, for us, it's this incredible, this incredible meeting of the two oceans of this really traditional, uh, very fuddy-duddy, old world, stuffy business um, that we try to be more open and light about it, Robert Craig. We, we try to be, we try to exude warmth to the people that come to us. Um, but it's what's really fascinating is I'm looking forward to having some customers that are non-traditional Napa Valley customers come and experience uh, the winery virtually, uh, physically on site. Uh, so it's just an incredible opportunity. And, and you know, working with Cameron and Andrew uh, and Andrew uh, grew up with the man that uh, runs all of our direct to consumer business, uh, Scott Johnson. We're just really looking forward to. Uh, a new experience from our side as a winery because we've dealt with, you know, uh, it, what's great is that, you know, you see so many more, so many more women, so many more uh, people of color and every sort of uh, ethnic race, religion and creed coming into wine country to experience it. And I think this is going to be another sort of watershed moment for us for this, this type of person that's interested in the wine to come to us in the Napa Valley. President and CEO of Robert Craig Winery, Mr. Elton Sloan. You've been absolutely amazing and your energy is fantastic. Honestly, you've got the best aura ever. I feel very, very honored to have spoken to you today. I heard such great things about you, but until you speak to people, you never really know the measure of them. And I'm so glad that I got the measure of you today because you're awesome. Thank you for sharing with us on Wine and Web 3. 
Hey, Kelly, thank you very much. This has been a really thought-provoking conversation, and I have a lot of takeaways from it, certainly. This was really a pleasure, and good luck in the World Economic Conference. You're going to knock it dead. Thank you so much for joining us today. That conversation with Elton Sloan was incredible, and I'm really excited about some of the topics that this conversation dug up for us. I want to investigate more in the next few episodes, so why not join us? Keep in the loop with Cuvée Collective and take a look for us on Discord, Instagram and cuvéecollective.com. And don't forget, you can catch up on all the podcasts that you've missed so far in this series by going to Spotify or to Apple Podcasts. See you soon.